per your word. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord. This is a day of rejoicing. This is a day of praise. This is a day of excitement in you. And we love you, Lord, and we honor you. We thank you for all that you do for us. And we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. You know, I'm gonna, we need to do like a little extra prayer. Miss Juan, if you can make note of it, uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, the one from Detroit, from the D, we gotta, we gotta keep up with this chick. Uh, she is called a, um, a hunger strike until what did she say oh until trump is impeached or something like that and so but we need to yeah well we need to take authority over that false power though you know they they do fast you know this witchcraft spirit they you know when you put put your mouth toward evil and you want to you know do um, do harm to somebody um, those gods are not as powerful as our god but you have to put a stop to it. You know, you just can't let these people say, oh, yeah, well, that's going to do a lot of good. Well, it won't do a lot of good if we stop it. And so you have to take authority over these false powers and, and render them null and void and, and render her fasting ineffective against God's kingdom. So, Father, we do thank you for your word and thank you for your authority and your power. Lord, we just thank you that no weapon formed against our government shall prosper we know father that many of these muslim people are sympathetic to their cause of taking over this nation and actually taking over the world we curse the power of sharia law in the name of jesus we command uh, that that her fasting be rendered null and void it will have no effect whatsoever against your kingdom And we thank you and we honor you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. (coughs) So no weapon is formed against God's people will prosper. Amen. We're so thankful that God has given us authority. Authority is only good if you use it. You know, so many times people will brag about, you know, what we have as Christians. You know, they talk about it, but they don't put it into effect and implement it. And so, so many times we can get caught up in just saying words that have no direction, (coughs) no purpose, and no power. So we want to always address these things because they are not legal. Amen. They are not legal before God. The Bible is clear. It says if we uh, submit to God and resist the devil, he must flee. He cannot stay around and wreak havoc on anything that pertains to God's kingdom. So we resist you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And I take authority over these cold symptoms in Jesus' name. I command all this coughing to cease. I command all of this interruption in our lives to cease. Satan, we curse your infirmity. We command it to come down from its exalted place. You are not king. You are not Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are Lord over our lives. And we honor you and we love you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So we're going to talk about the fact that problem solvers are one in three million. Amen. Problem solvers are one in three million. And uh, where that comes from will will be revealed to you. But 
I was thinking about that in terms of our uh, the lives that we live now. Um, there is more negative accusation, condemnation being spewed uh, everywhere in the hearing of people's ears. Um, the world, um, the world operates through deception, but many times the deception is very subtle. And before you know it, you get convinced that good is evil and evil good just through the subtleties of it. But <clears throat> recently, we've seen an increase in the overt evil and the plain, plainly spoken evil that is in men's hearts. Uh, many times we hear people um, use profanity where they didn't used to do it. It's acceptable in so many different places and curses are always coming from the devil. He loves to curse things. Even though he has no power to curse, he does carry power of evil. And so when we understand where this is coming from, it's not coming from any place that is good. And so and it's not just normal. You know, people say things, well, uh, it's, it's 2019, like that means something. You know, people are still people, God is still God, good is still good, evil still evil. And so I've found that many times we kind of tolerate uh, many things because we don't respond to them uh, in the way we should respond to them. And, and criticism, negative speaking, accusation, and condemnation seem to be the order of the day. If we can malign people, if we can uh, 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 beat people down somehow with harsh words or words that will keep them uh, from moving forward, making any progress, being successful at anything. It just seems people choose that. Um, the world is full of hypocrisy. And so we don't be, um, I guess, <clears throat> uh, um, deceived by how the world does things uh, like now people have all of these uh, we're against uh, people who um, uh, take advantage you know in, in the workplace women uh, are not supposed to be mistreated and manhandled and all this kind of stuff and so we're against that and you know let's get a crusade or we're against bullying and but everybody does it you see what I'm saying? People in the world are the authors of this kind of activity, but yet they go on these crusades to pretend that they are against this kind of thing. Uh, for instance, people who, who watch the political scene, uh, if you look at politics, um, people on the left are always overt about what they think and believe where people on the right are generally more um, cultured, uh, refined, gentlemanly. For instance, uh, one of the criticisms that uh, um, right wing or conservative people had against uh, President Bush, George H.W. Bush, was that he was attacked and lied upon and maligned in the media, but he never answered back. And people would ask him, well, why don't you speak up for yourself? Why are you letting people make you out to be the worst person in the world? And that's not true. And it was patently not true. It was made up. 
it was fake and the enemy did this to turn people against him and anybody else who was like him and so his excuse was always well I don't want to lower the office of the presidency to that level I want to respect the office and not well you know what do you do when somebody lies and they're influencing people with their lies I mean when when do you stand for truth or is there a place to stand for truth and I think that's what the whole uh, issue was about it wasn't about him defending himself personally like it was hurting him and you know he him instead choosing to be a martyr and just letting it happen but it was about the power of words and the power of lies versus the power of truth and so and the church is the same way when when we were being confronted about whether homosexuality was sin remember those big important ministers who were put on the spot with that question and how they tried to wiggle out of giving a biblical answer you know all you got to do is open your bible i mean your import your your opinion as an individual is not important and see I see the same mistake being made in both realms in the church and in the political realm that that uh, uh, shrinks back like it's personal. It's not about you. It's about people who are within earshot of what's being said about you and being said about the office that you hold and being said about this country and being said about all kinds of things that you have influence over and so when we get to the point where we are so intimidated by evil spirits that we don't want to speak truth anymore Jesus said you you're like salt that's not salty anymore he said the only thing you're good for is to be stepped on and trampled if you're going to sit up and let people lie and tell lies about you, you represent me, or anybody else who's operating in truth. If you tolerate that, your salt's not salty anymore. And if you, if our salt isn't salty, what are we going to use to replace it? If you don't have salt on your food and your food needs salt, what can you put? That salt substitute stuff? Nobody wants that. That nothing can replace salt. There's no substitute for salt. Amen. Amen. You're either salt or you're not. You're either light or you're not. Uh, you can't light. You let your light. And there will come a day where you will have to confront these evil powers. We can't just shy away from them forever. You know, or we don't have. Well, you know, I don't get involved in that. Why not? Hmm? God does. God wants us to get involved in everything to set records right. And so when you think about it, lies have had the upper hand for a long time in the public square. Ever since, uh, and I can, you know, the, the uh, prayer in schools issue. Uh, lies have been told about separation of church and state. There's no such thing as that in the Constitution. It says that the government will not set up a religion like they do in, in, in Red China. There's a state religion and you're allowed to have that but nothing else. We don't do that here. We've never even come close to that. And it says nor shall it prohibit the free exercise thereof. So nobody can 
if if you consider praying in your school free exercise, nobody can make you stop doing that. See, free exercise depends on the person who's exercising it. They're making Muslims are making people put prayer rugs in airports now for them, and they're protected. But Christians who want to pray in a school are not. There was a coach whose his, uh, team won a game and their, their custom was to pray after the game. They fired him. And he still doesn't have a job. Nobody will hire him. Why? Because the voices that intimidate and accuse and tell lies are dominating and intimidating people. The, the people in the earth have been bullied into accepting lies. So if you don't like bullying, why don't we start there with your anti-bully program. Now you can tell the devil all day long to talk nice to people and don't hit and don't bully and don't, but he ain't going to stop. He's not under anybody's authority but God. So if you can speak God's word in the situations, you'll be able to make some headway. But if you're too afraid and you're too intimidated to speak God's word, you're losing your salt, folks. And if we lose our salt, what are we good for? You got me? So we have to learn how to step into that place of declaring God's word. I don't care who doesn't like it. I don't care if they call it hate speech. When did this get started? Huh? There's no such thing as hate speech. There's free speech. And if somebody doesn't like what you say, then they have a right to not believe it or a right to not hear it or a right to, to confront you or whatever. But you can't prohibit people from freely speaking and sharing ideas. I don't care how, how crazy they are, who doesn't like them. Uh, you know, these people who are being assaulted for wearing MAGA hats in public. Um, nobody should... Just because you you stand for a certain political position, somebody can come up and punch you. See, and this is what the left wing people think. They're they're totally deranged now. And I think God's allowing us to see that. And if you can't see that, you need to really pray and ask God to show you what's going on. Because as watchmen, you can't be partial. You can't put your head in the sand and not want to see certain things because you don't think that's important. You know, pretty soon you won't think anything's important. Remember what they said about Nazi Germany when they came for the Jews. They, they, the Christians in the churches turned up the music and sang louder. Hmm? Then they came from the business people and they said, sing louder. And they sang louder when they came for every group until they came for them and then they couldn't sing anymore. You got me? So we're not the sing louder people. We're not, we're not here to ignore evil. We're here to confront evil and put it under God's feet because that's why we're here. If you're a believer and you're alive in this earth, this is why you're here. For no other, you're not here for the wealth transfer. You're not here to get rich. You're not here to be a millionaire. You're not here to get an airplane. You are here to stand against evil. Period. Period. And let God be your portion and let God be your reward. So uh, problem solvers must solve the entire dilemma 
and and not be just concerned about personal issues. I think the church has spent more than enough time on getting their wealth and getting their health. And to be honest with you, most of them are not interested that much in health. They're more interested in money. It's a sad time when people can just go into a church and want to hear prosperity lectures for years and years and years on end and not hear much about holy living, not hear much about how to help your neighbor who's being beaten every night by a husband or a wife. You understand what I'm saying? And so this is why we don't have any more money than we have in the church. Because we're not good stewards with what, with the word that we do have. We're not good stewards with our lives and the power that God has given us. Not good stewards over his word and over the power of prayer to intercede for people. And so when we start showing the kind of stewardship that God's requiring so that he can release more to us, he'll release more. But you know what? When more gets released to, to you, you're really beyond craving it. When it comes from God. He's not going to give like the prodigal son. He wanted Everybody wants their inheritance ahead of time. I have never heard anybody say it's not taking too long for God to give me my answer. We all think it's taking too long. And that's because we have a craving on the inside of us for things. So God allows us. To labor in the spirit until that flesh doesn't crave anymore. Till that flesh dies to it. And then you can learn to appreciate things the way God wants us to appreciate them. You know? He didn't give you prosperity so you can buy every little thing you see. I remember people in the church saying, well, I'm a tither and I think I should be able to write a check anytime I want to for whatever I want. I say, yeah, I used to think like that till I met Jesus. You need to meet him. You understand what I'm saying? You meet him, you won't crave for anything. I guarantee you. Huh? What's to crave when you've got everything? He is your inheritance. He is your portion. So now your job is to do what you can do to please him. 24-7. When you get up, what do I do to please you, Lord? When you lie down, what do I do to please you? And every minute in between, what do I do to please you? Because you've met the real purpose for your life. And so God wants us to to uh, be problem solvers. That's the purpose of the church. We're not here to hide from people. We're not here to be intimidated. We're not here to run from anything. But we are here to be ambassadors for Christ. And Jesus was a problem solver. Everywhere he went he solved problems. He knew man's major problem was sin. And he went after it at every turn. He never winked at sin. He never told people sin was not important to deal with. He never, he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, which was always with repentance. You can't get into the kingdom in your flesh. It's not a fleshly kingdom. It's not of this world. And so he, he went and he preached and he taught and he solved problems. And that's what he wants his people to do. He wants to go, preach, teach, and solve problems. 
So in Exodus chapter 14, if you'll turn there, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about our example. This is as, as Israel is leaving Egypt, they're crossing the Red Sea. Now they have been prepared for this prior. Moses and Aaron have preached. The children of Israel have been in Egyptian bondage for 430 years. God prophesied to them the first year they went into Egypt that they would be there for 430 years. Everybody knew that. But it's funny people can be given a date and the devil will make you forget it. And so, amen. And so, uh, and it says, when they finally did leave, it says it was 430 years to the day that they left Egypt. So God keeps his word. God is always on time. God is never late. And what God had to do to prepare them for this journey was to show them his power. So that was part of the purpose for the ten plagues. God could show his power one time. But he had to show his power over and over and over again. And the ten plagues represented things things that the Egyptians thought were important. Part It was part of their worship. When they they uh, he had all those frogs to multiply until they got sick of frogs, it was because one of their gods was a frog. Amen. When he sent lice, they worshipped lice. They worshipped all these things, and even though the Israelites knew better, they had the one true and living God. They worshipped them too. So there's a lot of Egypt in everybody. There's a lot of worldliness in Christians. There's a lot of the world that we that surrounds us, we can't resist all of it all the time. And so some of that gets incorporated in our thinking. Some of that stuff gets incorporated in our believing and our understanding. I remember when I was, uh, before I was a Christian, I didn't think there was anything wrong with abortion. And then I got around Christians after I got saved. I went to a Bible study and I noticed that there were some women there who were talking about uh, going and praying at abortion clinics and Roe versus Wade. And I said, oh wow. I said, that's wrong. It was like it was a revelation to me. But see, God had put me in a position in my heart where if I learned something was wrong, I quickly let go of it. See, I didn't have to, I don't have to be right. I don't have to hold on to things. Once you know it's of the world, you gotta let it go. And so I immediately let that go and I started to understand and, and get in the word and understand what the word said about murder. You know, uh, people mistakenly say thou shalt not kill and that's one interpretation but it's thou shalt not commit murder. Because when you think about it, in times of war, if that were true, why would God command them to kill all the enemy? But it wasn't murder, it was war. Big difference. We're not at war against unborn children. So it's murder. So there are many things that the world believes that the church believes. 
church people believe these things. You'll see some of the leaders of especially mega churches. I don't know what it is about mega church people that makes them think they don't have to obey the word anymore they don't have to preach the word or live by the word anymore but but they fall in in great numbers because of the bigness of what they have many of those churches are not built on prayer they'll built on uh, public relations um, mailing lists television brings in a lot of people to follow them they're not really built on a stable foundation and so they fall very very quickly that's part of why they fall so we have to understand that God wants people uh, to to stand for him he wants us to be obedient to his word he wants us to be problem solvers and so here we have the children of Israel coming out of Egypt it's a very important step to leave the place where you've lived for 400 years there's tradition there there's family members, uh, familiar areas, all these kinds of neighbors, you know, Egyptian neighbors you might like or, you know, people from other cultures, so forth and so on. Uh, but, but it's getting too hard for them to stay where they are. Man, life is too hard. Uh, they're in slavery now and they're, they're building the pyramids and all these kinds of projects that Pharaoh has to glorify his gods. The Egyptians are, I mean, the Israelites are being forced to labor into that. And see, that's the abomination God wants to get rid of. He does not want us uh, upholding any, oh, it's okay. I mean, that's okay to, for them to do that. No, it's not okay. If it's okay for them, it's okay for you. Don't you understand that? What goes for one goes. That's the first thing the enemy does to get us to compromise and slip over into his territory. Is find no harm in something that's forbidden. Amen? Amen. To find no harm in something that's forbidden. You know, I know a lot of times Christians will say, well, I don't, I just drink a little bit here. I don't drink at all. I asked God to take it away from me because it led to excess. Amen. Anything that's an open door to excess, any Christian ought to, you know, I don't need that. You know, it to me it seems so simple. It's like eventually that door is going to lead somewhere you don't want to go. And you're not going to be able to turn around from it. So we don't live on the edge, folks. We live in the middle of God's will. Don't ever be a fringe person where you can slip off at any moment and be irretrievably lost. You think people who don't go to church anymore thought they'd be in the shape they're in? Well, you can answer that one day. We can just keep it moving here. You understand what I'm saying? And many of them still think they're in the will of God. And they're so backslid it's pathetic. You got me? So so we don't have to live like that. You can live in the middle of the will of God. Don't ever be curious about what the world's doing. And what that feels like. And what that's like. And oh, it's okay to do that. Why are you living on the fringe? And then when you get in church you want to quote the word and expect God to do miracles. Well, don't be a hypocrite. You know, Just be 100% with God or leave it alone. You know what I'm saying? Be hot or cold. And and if you're lukewarm, Jesus said you you make him sick, you know. So just don't do it. Be somebody who can can stand for God. 
You know, when family members want to ridicule you, you know, you just give them a look and make a move out of your way or love on them anyway. You know, it's just whatever. But just, just always stay with God because you're going to get grief for serving God. It just comes with the territory. But it's a good grief because he approves of you and that's all that's important. Amen. Amen. So here we are in in chapter 14 in Exodus. I start in verse 11. Hopefully that's a good good place to start. I'll go to 10. Uh, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord and said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? So this is the voice of the critic. This is the voice of the critic. Now you need to understand this that criticism is common. Because it comes from a place of powerlessness. And everybody in the world is powerless. Everybody in the world is powerless. Now they can can make it for a season. You know, you might have a good job and you might have some things going for you. But one slip on the job, you know, with an injury and that all leaves. So really without God and without the supernatural help of God, people are very powerless. That's why people are so quick to criticize and complain. Because they they sense that powerlessness. And they sense that they have no other option, so they have to say something. Amen. You, your, your heart and your mind want to express what your condition is. And so the children of Israel are very quick to express their fear, their frustration, their anger, their disappointment. In fact, you can say this, that as they live every day, they're looking for trouble. They're looking for this. They're expecting bad news. And that's true of all of us. If we we can get into situations and, and be going along fairly decently praying for things until something happens that makes it look like it's going the other way. Or in it really, and sometimes nothing has to happen. Sometimes your mind will just take off in a negative flow. Or someone will plant a seed in your head that, that puts doubt in there that it's going to come to pass for you. That's why it's good to, to turn some of this no, nonsense off that we listen to 24-7. You know, where people just spew out lies and anger and, and uh, maligning people. You know, the Bible tells us to pray for those in authority over us. It doesn't tell you to malign them or, or uh, you know, get on Facebook and say so-and-so's telling lies and they lie all the time. And, you know, uh, this is nonsense. This is nonsense for Christians. And it's nonsense for us to believe it. You got me? The the Lord tells us to believe the best. Love believes the best. Are you believing the best for somebody when you talk like that? So this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to pull us over and down into his realm of thinking. 
so that we when we go to make our confession our confession is is full of hate it's full of lies it's full of malingering it's full of uh, uh, bad mouthing people believing the worst there's no love in other, and your faith won't work so this is all to get your faith and to get your faith not to work that's what it's for when you you criticize God's people you criticize uh, uh, Christians and you know they ought to do this more and they ought to do that more people get on their little soapbox and want to tell God what to do you know there's a false prophet that rests in all of us somebody that wants to know something and want to tell us so we can say I told you so and so when 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 that gets a grip on us we need to go back to the cross you need to go back to the blood you need to go back and repent you need to go back and get that anger and and get that don't let people keep you fueled up with their negative thinking and their negative speaking as people on tv are getting paid to tell lies you're not getting paid anything you understand you get a deduct from yours if you if you carry those lies and you believe them and so God God has something in mind though when he uh, pulls his people to do something when he chooses leaders he has always to choose a leader amen a, and a leader is always a problem solver man so Israel you can see their main concern is themselves they're concerned about their safety they're concerned if they're gonna live they don't want to go in this desert and die we've never been here before but we know about Egypt oh yeah we were in bondage and yeah they beat us and yeah they they killed some of us sometimes and they want to kill all the babies that were born yeah they did all that but at least we could live Hmm? at least we could live well how can you live comfortably when your own people are being persecuted all the time this is like we're over here in the united states and we think we've got it made because we read where people are over in north korea and china and africa and all those places and they get killed and and they get beheaded for their christian faith and we think we're we're not so far above them folks this is to me this is a warning from god because it's fast approaching our door when you get to the point where like right now it's you could as a Christian you could be sued for leading a homosexual to Christ and tell them they don't have to be homosexual anymore because that's illegal in many states and so don't act like this won't happen to us don't act like it's not happening to us don't act like we're the freest people in the world Right now we got people in Congress who are are blatantly anti-Semitic. They hate Jews. They say it all the time. And they don't care who knows it. Because they are adamant about their faith. They figure it would be an honor for them to die spewing hatred against Jews right in the, the halls of Congress in America. So it's not like we're not going to face these things folks. We're facing them already. And see we can't say anything negative about them or we get labeled. And see we don't like labels. But you know what? Labels don't stick to me. I don't care what you call me. I really don't care. I know who I am. 
My life is hid with Christ and God. My identity is in Christ. So I'm not concerned about what you call me. Really? Seriously? Who gave you authority to call me anything? I'm called by my God. And that's all that matters to me. See, it's time to be like that. The time of the nice Christian has been over for so long. I've never been able to be just a nice Christian. You understand what I'm saying? There's always a devil somewhere you got to address. They're subtle. They're sneaky. They're stupid. You know, there's you always beating them back all the time. You know what I'm saying? So there's as long as there's a devil here, I got to beat back. I don't have to embrace them or be nice to them. Anything like that. So you like your devil, keep your devil. But I don't have to share it with you. So we have to live like that, folks. It's, it's no time for this nonsense. No, you, you don't win people by lying to them. You don't win them to Christ that way. So here we have the children of Israel, which, by the way, numbered three million. So that's where I decided the titles problem solvers are three million and one. There are not that many of them. Moses came from their ranks. Interestingly though, he spent 40 years separated from the children of Israel. He was groomed in Pharaoh's household, so he was considered to be royalty, adopted royalty. But he left that behind so that he could he started to identify with his Hebrew family. And so he left Egypt behind. All the the frills, the the wealth, all that stuff. He left behind him. And so he, and then God called him after he was 40 years on the run because he had murdered an Egyptian soldier. He was 40 years on the run. And so God then approached him in the desert. And you know the rest of the story. Moses gets drafted into uh, being a leader over God's people. And God tells him he's going to use him to bring these people out of Egypt. Well, the minute they start hearing Pharaoh's horses, you know, the old noise, the old control, the old boss, their hearts start to see those flashbacks come. You know, and, and when God wants to move you into something new, in his mercy trying to help you, he totally divorces you from any contact you might have with the old life. Got me? That's why the Red Sea closed up behind them. He could have left it open. But you know what would have happened? You just saw three million people running right back. So when you got saved, there should have been certain people in your life that just dropped out of your life. Amen. When you started going to church, you couldn't see certain people anymore because you didn't have time for them. Many of them, you just this got erased from your memory. You weren't interested in contacting them anymore. Not that you disliked them or anything, but there was a a closing of the sea behind you so that you can't swim back. See, the way back to the world is always difficult. It's not easy. 
It's not easy to backslide. You have some people who have. They they might go for the devil will will work on their heads for months and years to convince them to disconnect from God and His people. Yeah. So the way back is hard. Now I remember somebody I knew that that got saved and was on fire for God and the enemy sent somebody from their past and they came and sat in church next to him for years see what I'm saying working on them working them beating them down beating them down being finally one and within a year after them disconnecting from the church they weren't even together anymore you see what I'm saying? The devil's a, he's on assignment. People are on assignment to us. And once their assignment's done, they move on. Well, let's move on and wreck somebody else's life. Huh? See, sometimes people aren't really excited about God. They just know how to play the game. And so when they get next to people that God wants to use and maybe are excited about God and it, you know they can work into a weakness, that's what they do. Some people just want to win. You understand what I'm saying? Some people are stupid like that. They just want to win. And so when that happens, you can see where, where God wants to help. That's why we had a prodigal prayer, honey. It's, it's, it's tough out there. And yeah, we ought to know better. And yeah, we ought to stay away from stuff. But when stuff comes and sits next to you, huh? you have to really be determined to win in God when you when you get involved with people, folks. You just can't let anybody, somebody come to you from your past. You need to feed them with a long handle spoon. It's not always a blessing from God that they came back into your life. So here the nation of Israel is moving over into their promised land but they don't see it like that. Just like when we first started to pray for different things. You know it it got tough. You realize nobody in your house was saved but you. And you realize that it was going to be a hard road because nobody you didn't have anybody to hold your hand. So you learned how to pray and trust God. And you learned how to get along with people in the church, didn't you? People that looked at you funny, you thought didn't like you, not at your best friend. Because you learned how to walk in the newness. huh? You learned. huh? And so we learn. We learn these things. Everybody's learning uh, in their in their road to on uh, you know the road of salvation. You know it, it's it's paved with challenges, but it's also paved with help. Uh, and and there's the word there, and there's revelation on the word, and there's the pastor to help you, and, and ministers that that God will will help you to under expand your knowledge and expand your understanding. So there's a lot of help for us on this road. So we don't have to wind up being murmurers and complainers. But here it is, the nation of Israel. It says, "What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt?" Blaming the leader, the problem solver. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. 
So when you don't know God, your your choices are few and very extreme. The the difference between the critic and the problem solver. The critic only sees one option or two. And they're both extreme. Israel said we either stay in Egypt and serve Pharaoh or we don't die in the desert. There's nothing in between for them. There's no other solution. The problem solver knows that there must be a solution somewhere. And if that problem solver is connected to God, they know that there's a solution somewhere in God. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care how long standing your problem is. I don't care if if you know you were kidnapped by aliens when you were three years old and you lived on Mars until you got saved at 21 and came back to earth. I don't care what your problem is. There is a God solution to it. Never shrug your shoulders and give up on something you know is a problem. Because there's a solution in God. But see you have to give up being a critic. And now turn over and be a problem solver. And we all have that ability. If you have Christ you're a problem solver. You just don't know it yet. See when we're in Christ. When we're new in Christ. Sometimes we get attention for having problems. We can run up to the altar every time. we. I was like this when I was. That's how I can tell you these things. As a new Christian, I, and there's nothing wrong with it. Now, don't think I'm telling you don't get help when you need help. But at some point, if that person really is hearing from God, they will instruct you on how to manage your spiritual life yourself. Because there's some things that have to come from you. They just can't come from outside all the time. And so even when you come to the altar, you've got to mix your faith with what they're doing. You can't just stand there and, and want God to show you something. Or is, is it going to happen or ain't it going to happen? I won't see what they're going to do. No, you can't be like that. You have to come in faith. And so it may take some years to learn how to approach God in faith. I mean, seriously, many people don't. They just, ah, oh, well, whatever. Ah, angry and frustrated and upset and throwing their hands up and, you know, getting crazy and all that instead of being a problem solver. God, this is a problem for me and I know you have an answer. And I'm going to get in your word and seek you. See, this is where people don't get it. Instead of getting in the word and seeking God, they just sit there and just try to poke through their brain to find an idea we're not to try we're not to try ideas we're to to believe god for an answer so he gives us a solution that will work amen so any solution of god will work for you you just got to know how to seek him and find it you seek him in his word you don't seek him just sitting up there in la la land you definitely don't seek seek him watching television or playing computer games or whatever we do so Moses answered the people verse 13 don't be afraid stand firm see here's the problem solver he gets to the problem most of those people there would not have admitted that they were just scared because this is something people don't like to admit they don't want to admit fear unless he can get them something 
You know what I'm saying? And so here there, he says, don't be afraid. Stand firm. In other words, don't go back. If you'll just stay positioned where God put you, you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. Because the Egyptians that you see today, you won't see ever again. In other words, God makes an utter end. The Bible says, what do you imagine against the Lord? What do you think you can do against God or his people? Huh? He'll make an utter end to this trouble. Amen? People think we'll have to deal with with persecution forever as Christians. We won't. God will make an utter end. If we'll stand and say, God, now look, God wouldn't put up with this nonsense enough. It's a distraction. It's, it's getting people involved in things they shouldn't get involved in. We want it dealt with. Amen. He makes an utter end. He says, the Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is shut up. When it says be still, that's what that means. Cease doing what you're doing. Isn't that the first thing that Joshua, that was like their command word with with God's people. Shut up. Huh? That's what Joshua told them right off the bat. First battle they got in, Joshua said, now listen, shut up y'all. Because your mouth caused me to delay 40 years getting my property. Your confession put a 40 year delay. And if you don't think a, a talking crazy and a negative confession is important to God. Look at what happened to the, the people who remained critics. They all their, The Bible says their carcasses dropped dead in the wilderness. Even though God clothed them. He fed them. Their clothes grew. If you ate too much as an Israelite, your clothes stretched. If you lost weight, they shrunk. Your shoes didn't wear out. Same pair of shoes 40 years. Anybody get tired of the same old pair of shoes? I'm sure they did, but it was better than barefoot. And if you complained about them shoes, you didn't get no new ones. Because complaining was what kept them from. Listen, he could have put them in the promised land. They could have bought what they wanted. Had prosperity, new shoes, anything they want. But they kept complaining about where they were. Now if you don't think complaining means. Oh, everybody does that. Oh, that don't mean that. I don't mean that. Well, shut up and start confessing the word then. If you don't think that means anything, go back and read Exodus starting in chapter 1 and go up to verse about 15 or 16. In fact, you can do the whole book and see what a bad confession will do for you. See, we think that because we're still alive and we haven't dropped dead and we still got a job that we're blessed. You don't have half of what God wants you to have. God wants you to have dominion. He wants you to have rulership. He wants you to have. But see our our desire and our vision of what we're entitled to is so small. And let me tell you what makes it small. Our mouths and our words and our thoughts. 
Because if you are a critic and you are a complainer and you are a negative speaker, you're driving the blessings of God away from you at a rapid pace. And you'll be just like Israel. They never mixed the word. They heard the word. They heard Moses talk. They they could go when they would have their their feast days. The the scrolls would be read to them. They knew what God had for them, but yet and still they obeyed the voice of fear and spoke evil against what God said, and they wore God out. He was done with them. He let them live, but they didn't prosper. What do you want to do? You want to live or you want to prosper? Then you better watch your mouth. And watch your heart. Guard what goes into your heart. Don't you get bitter at anybody. Don't you get unforgiving at anybody. And don't you get stuck in your ways where you can't change and you can't repent if God tells you you're thinking something that's wrong. Or you're believing wrong. You get to where you're humble before God and you can make the adjustment so you can live. So then God goes to Moses. Lord, Verse 15, Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell them people to move. Just tell them to get up and go somewhere. He said, raise your staff and stretch your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry land. The best thing to do with a bunch of critics and complainers is to make them get up and do anything. Huh? They could have walked on top of the water. They could have walked around the water. God could have dug trenches for them. But God said just stretch your staff out there and make that water open up so them people can move. Because if you let them stay here any longer they're going to stampede you and go right back where they came from. Because they working on it. Once that little crowd starts saying, Who we should have stayed there. And then somebody said, well, let's go back. We ain't going nowhere. Let's go back. God said, I'll show you what. I'll open this water up right in front of you and give you a choice. You either go back and let Pharaoh kill you or you go forward and trust that I'm not going to kill you. Since you think you're going to die anyway. <laughs> So Moses, what he do? He said, God told him. He says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Not mud. He says, I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army. Through his chariots and his horsemen, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So God's on a totally different page than we are. See, we're thinking about us. I won't go back because at least we, we, you know, at least we felt safe. I don't want to go forward. God ain't thinking about you and your little nerve and your little this and your little that. He's looking at the bigger picture. See as long as you're unwilling to believe that there's a bigger picture. 
or there's something else. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it. It's not about you 100%. You're a portion of it, but you ain't the big picture. God does things in a certain way for his purposes. If we belong to him, he has a right to claim some victory and claim some glory out of these things. And it's not that we determine what kind of glory he gets. He decides what he wants to do. He decides how he wants to show Pharaoh he's the boss. Because he's been working on Pharaoh ever since he called Moses up. See? Pharaoh's too mean. He's oppressing his people. Not treating his people right. The same thing with our government in this country. Uh, our, our elected officials have gotten too mean. They enact laws that hurt people. Uh, they murder babies unborn. Now they're murdering born babies. And you see they're all quiet about that now. Because they weren't expecting the devil to get that bold. But all he needs is one arrogant, weak-minded, petty individual. And then he'll just swoop. Get some laws together and pass them right on through. See this has been happening in this country for a while now. There are many laws that have been passed that are anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-life. And see God's depending on us to stand against this stuff. You can't sit up there and just let it happen and think this is, you know, well, you know, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I don't agree with that. But what do you mean you don't agree with it? What are you going to do about it? Let's pass time for I don't agree excuses. If you don't stop it, you agree with it. It's just that simple. How do I stop it? Don't support it. Pray against it. And when you pray, you you put some punctuation behind it. You understand? Show it. Follow up with a deed. You pray and you act. Sit up praying some vain prayers and you don't even believe them half the time. You're just repeating words. Uh, Follow it up with some action. So the critics preferred the familiarity of Egypt rather than to receive what God promised them. Listen, God's not stupid. When he promises us something, he gives it to us. Sometimes it don't look like what we asked for. Hmm. Why does he do that? Well, why would he do that? Now, what do you mean don't look like what we Because we walk by faith and not by sight. So if you walk by faith, sometimes what you get comes in a little rough form. Sometimes it has a little glitch here, a little bug there, a little something. <laughs> hmm. People look for perfect people to marry. You know, They're human like you. Are you perfect? Well, you know, but I don't mean no harm. Well, they don't either. I don't learn how to live with people, love people. God's purpose is to teach us how to love. Not to have everything we want. We want the wrong things. God has to purify our wants. Sometimes that's why we make two steps forward and ten steps backwards trying to pursue something. God has to purify what we want. All them requests go on an altar, baby. (laughs) 
They have to pass through the fire. What survives the fire is what you get. Huh? You better want it for the right reasons. So they preferred the familiarity of Egypt rather than receive what God promised them. They complained while in Egypt and they complained when they left. So crossing had not changed them. Just like when we first get saved. That prayer we pray and, and you know I know everybody has that has a true salvation experience. But that's different than conversion. Conversion is a daily walk. Where your mind is renewed to think like God. Let go of the old things. And really desire what God has for you. And know it's more than sufficient. Whatever God has for you is more than enough. Trust me. It's more. Much, much more. So when they, they preferred, they complained both places. God has to do a work in us to get the complaint out of us. To cause the critic to die. How is it that three million people? Okay, well, let me finish this part. Verse nineteen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. See, you can only lead people so far, and when they stop and get scared and criticize, you gotta get behind them and push them through. So he went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front of them and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. So if you can imagine this where Pharaoh's army was behind Israel it was darkness. In front of Israel there was light to guide them through this journey across the Red Sea. And so that stayed there like that all night long. That's for those people who think God won't do it. Who thinks this is just some kind of fluke. Or you know oh yeah it's light right now but we better hurry up because this light going to go out pretty soon. It's, it's, if it's after midnight. You see what I'm saying. And so they had all kinds of supernatural evidence from God that he was with them and he was helping them. So whenever we get weak on our faith or low on our faith or want to quit and start complaining all this stuff. God shows up to show us that he is with us anyhow. He's always there to show you the way. You got to look for your deliverance. You can't keep looking for negative things. Because if you look for negative things you sure will find trouble. But if you look for God, God is there helping you. The Bible says he is a present help in the time of trouble. And that's what he was to them. All night long. If it had taken three days, that cloud would have stayed there for all three days, folks. And he says in in, uh, verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind 
and turned it into dry land. So it took them all night to cross. As they're crossing, this wind's keeping the walls of water up on both sides. And it's powerful enough to dry the earth underneath their feet. Any idiot would say, wow, that water's up there, but the ground's wet. Now think about it, folks. This ain't hard to figure out. Another sign that God was active with them and didn't want to hurt them at all. Mud. You get enough mud on the bottom of your feet. You got to walk the length of a floor of, of a sea and you got mud underneath there. You're going to get ground down under the mud. But God's wind was strong enough that it blew. See some people interpret that as he, he made the, the water, the walls of water and kept them all night long so it could dry out. That's not true. The walls of water say the minute the first person's foot put their feet on that soil it was dry. Evidence that God had supernaturally parted and made the way safe for them. Your journey is not perilous in God. Especially if you that scared. Do you imagine a bunch of crazy scared people stepping in mud and slipping and sliding. Oh, I can't go no further. I want to go back. <laughs> they had no problem crossing. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of the cloud of fire and, the, and, and, and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against us. But it was too late. Uh, For some people who are enemies of God, they don't get another chance. They've been given enough. Amen. For some people, it really is too late, folks. I know. We like to think mercy all the time, but you're not God. The offense is not against you. It's against him. Just let God do his job. Amen. Let him do his business. If people don't want to repent, they don't have to. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 26, stretch your hand out again and let the waters flow back over the Egyptians. See, you've got to be an obedient soldier. Who wants to drown all these people? But if God tells you to do it, you gotta do it. See, this is, this is why leaders are one in three million. Because a lot of people wouldn't have the stomach to do some things that God would have them to do. You understand? Some people just can't, they cave in too quick. They wanna be liked, they wanna be accepted, they wanna be whatever, whatever. You got me? I'm sure President Trump didn't think he would be talked about. When people get to be president, everybody respects him. See, he didn't expect to be talked about, lied upon, have people hate him. 
beat up his supporters. All that kind of stuff. He didn't expect that. But it happens anyway. So you got to be a, have a strong stomach to do some things that need to be done. Because the level of corrupt people that are in our government is frightening. If you're not scared you ought to be. Because what these people have done. And I'm talking about highest offices in the land. What these people have done. It's frightening to think that people we trust as our law enforcement officials would do some of these things. And they're still trying to do it. So there's a lot of stuff that needs to be dug out, cleared out, discarded, put in jail, cast away. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And trust me, only God could do this kind of work. Because there are a bunch of whistleblowers who know corrupt stuff has been going on for a long time and they're powerless to do anything. They get run out of town. There's so many people they find people. Oh so and so committed suicide. Oh they were a top FBI official and so and so and such and such and they were found and, and it's ruled a suicide. Seriously? Working in some jobs is real hazardous to your health. So Moses had to stretch out his hand and make that water come back in there again. And Moses did it. And at daybreak the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing and they were right in the middle. All of them had come far enough to get into the middle of the Red Sea. And then it closed up on them. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one survived. Not one. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. With the wall of water on the right and the wall of water on the left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God displayed against the Egyptians the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in his servant Moses. For a minute okay you all know that right. (laughs) Now how is it. That this three million frightened people, scared to death people, were able to leave Egypt even though they were afraid of the wilderness. The answer is in Exodus 12. And verse 12, on that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. So you see who the judgment is against, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood but principalities and powers. God is always against the other gods. He gives the people a chance to turn their backs on them but if they don't do it he they go down with their gods if they cling to their gods anyway they go down with them he says on all the gods of Egypt because I am the Lord 
The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So this is how they were able to obey God. Because of the blood. The blood had dual purposes. Number one, it spared them from destruction. First of all, striking that blood tested their obedience. Are you going to do what God told you to do? All obedient people get spared. So the first test for them was would they uh, put blood on their doorposts the way God told them to. And when he saw the blood, not hear their whining, not hear their complaining, not hear their murmuring, but when he sees something. When he sees you're willing to obey him, when he sees you're willing to do what he tells you to do, when he sees something, he'll pass over you. Death will pass over you because of what you do, what you believe in your heart. Not your whining and not your complaining. So you all got to show God something. The Bible talks about Jesus when he would heal people. He said, when he saw their faith. How did he see their faith? Because of something they did. Amen? He sees our faith because of something we do, not just our little confession. That's why it's hard to get anything on confession alone. You've got to do some actions to show God your faith. They were able to leave Egypt because of the power of the blood. This first Passover was instituted for the purpose of getting them out of Egypt. The covenant they entered into allowed God to take over and move them out supernaturally. So where they failed, God was able to take up. Where they were weak, God was able to be strong. That's why he chose a leader for them. Somebody who could keep them together so they wouldn't fight each other and scatter. If Pharaoh's army was under authority, they had to be too. So they were the first army, the first church army of the living God. God's plan here was to keep his word to Israel to get them out of bondage. He had a threefold plan, maybe more. These were three that came to me. Number two was to get honor on Pharaoh and his gods and show them that he was God. And to save the obedient. God always saves the obedient. People who worship God and serve God will not go down with the disobedient. That's never God. If you look from the beginning of the, of, of the word of God to where we are now, you'll see that's consistent. What's the purpose in living for God if you go down with the sinners? So as long as you live for God and do what's right in his eyes, he has blessings for you and mercy for you. So the Passover was instituted for the purpose of getting them out of Egypt. So they entered into a new covenant because God told them that they would do this every year. So every year they would have the Passover service. They would eat the unleavened bread and so forth and so on for seven days and, and uh, you know, institute the Passover. 
And so that blood though on the doors was struck one time. They didn't do that over and over again. Why? Because Jesus died once and for all. Amen. The shedding of blood is one time. Blood of bulls and goats was used once a year on the mercy seat because the priesthood was instituted. So this was the same covenant God cut with Abraham. It was a blood covenant. He promised Abraham that his descendants would be bonded, be captive in Egypt for 430 years and then they would come out. Amen. So this blood covenant enabled Abraham to hope against hope. It's, that's the kind of covenant we have. You have a hope against hope covenant. That's why Israel was able to hope against hope that they wouldn't die if they went forward and obeyed God's command. To go, just go, take, keep, keep taking a step at a time and see where you wind up. Don't you dare stop. Don't you dare complain. Don't you dare murmur and stop and quit moving forward. You keep moving forward. That's faith. That's what God wants us to do. So we have a hope against hope faith on the inside of us. And this turned three million frightened, stiff-necked critics to complete an impossible journey. He always helps our weaknesses. They walk through walls of water on dry ground. So they would have an experience and a testimony of the supernatural power of God. God instructed them to set up some some landmarks. So in years to come when your children say what do these stones mean? You can tell them the testimony. The, but that's why you know why? Because he wants us to quit complaining. A testimony of his goodness will stop your bickering. It will stop your complaining. It will get your mind cleansed. The blood covered their sin so there was no complaining. At least until that task was completed. So God takes us one one task at a time. Amen. So the blood, the power of that blood over the doors lasted long enough for them to do God's purpose. After they had allowed God's will to be done, they were back to complaining and business as usual. But know that you will either be one of three million or you'll be one out of three million. Amen. Because God is looking for problem solvers. We don't need no more problems. We don't need to add to the confusion that's loose in the world. But God is looking for his people to be able to take up the mantle and solve problems. Because there's bunches of them in the earth. Amen. Father thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us understanding. Thank you for blessing us Lord to know exactly who we are. We are problem solvers. Let us learn to cease complaining. Cease looking for trouble. Cease looking for difficulty and look for you because you are everywhere, Lord. And we thank you for your omnipresence. Thank you, Lord, for your magnificent power. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If anybody needs prayer, I'll